So uh, this is the second sermon out of Proverbs. I preached out of Proverbs last year, and we saw last time, uh, if you remember, uh, I don't usually remember what someone preaches last week, much less a year ago, Uh, but if memory is that great, we saw last time that the father, Solomon, encourages his son, the prince, to pursue lady wisdom, Uh, that, that really there's these two ladies, these two women that are being distinguished in the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. And uh, Solomon is telling his son, the prince, pursue Lady Wisdom and run from, warn against the dangers of following Dame Folly. In fact, we see Lady Wisdom mentioned in chapter 3 and 4 and 8 and 9, and we see Dame Folly mentioned in 5 and 6 and 9. And there's this contrast about two ways to live and wisdom this idea of wisdom in the book of proverbs solomon argues if you're wise it brings you life and riches and honor and if you're foolish it brings you poverty and shame and ultimately death to pursue dame folly is a highway to the grave it's a broad path solomon says in the book of proverbs and and I mentioned last week by application, or last year by application, this book is not a quick fix. We don't become wise immediately. It's multiple exposures over time. I remember getting a little book when I was a new dad called Proverbs for Parenting. And all the author did was arrange the Proverbs in such a way by category so that you would have wisdom in parenting your children. And for many years, uh, especially with the first two children, anytime there was a discipline that had to happen, uh, along with the uh, punishment was instruction to say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is, you know, you, you used your words as weapons. You were angry and you fought and verbally were mean to your sibling. And this is what Proverbs says happens if you're, you use your words as weapons. This is what Proverbs says, if you steal, if you lie, if you um, run with wicked people over and over. And man, it was helpful. I think it instructed me more than my children, probably, as I was reading this. Um, But this this is ultimately God's wisdom. Now, there's two invitations, and it, it makes sense that in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon would, ins- would start the Proverbs as a whole with this instruction to his son and basically telling him there's two paths to live, two ways to walk, and two invitations. I'm going to read verses 8 to 33 in chapter 1. Uh, in fact, this is usually where a lot of people, they'll preach the first three chapters of Proverbs because it, you're able to kind of see the advancement of thought. And then once you get into chapter 4 until uh, chapter 30, it seems a, a collection, an assortment, and there's no way to outline it. So I, if I do this every year, I have a couple years before I have to handle that problem. So uh, <laughs> there's that. Uh, let me start in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, 
Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn it my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, then distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely and will be at ease without dread of disaster." It's a little hard to outline this. It's not like a normal uh, letter that we, we see like Paul writing to the Ephesians. But if you see these words, listen, hear, the first call, the first invitation is, is the foolish, the wicked, the evil saying, come follow us and we'll make you rich. All we have to do is lie in ambush, take advantage of people, steal their money, and it'll be ours. But then you have... Lady Wisdom calling aloud, Wisdom calling louder than the voices in the street who are calling out, saying, listen to me. If you don't listen, there's consequences. But if you do listen, there's great reward. And so there's these two invitations. Verses 8 to 19 is an invitation to folly. I find it fascinating that verses 8 and 9 what we see is that foolishness, folly, goes against the counsel of parents. Verses 8 and 9, in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. Wisdom begins at home, and both mothers and fathers have a crucial role in training their children. It's interesting, the book of Proverbs, the phrase, my son, that's used here is used Ten times in the first nine chapters. In fact, it marks out all of the major sections of wisdom's appeal. Our culture would say, don't listen to your parents. Listen to us. We have the wisdom to give you. We have the wisdom to, to make you influential, to make you successful, to make you happy. 
Social media is like the city streets here that Solomon is describing. They're crying aloud saying, hey, follow us and we'll give you your heart's desires. And don't worry if you take advantage of people. Don't worry if you steal their goods. It's no big deal because you'll be rich. You'll be happy. Think about this, young people. Your friends, your your classmates if you're in school. The world's entertainment industry tries to compete for your attention as a primary influence of wisdom. And a major goal of Solomon in this book is to teach a young man or woman, for that matter, how to assume the responsibilities of adult life. You want a book on how to become an adult? Read the book of Proverbs. If you're an adult and don't know how to be an adult, read the book of Proverbs. (laughs) He says that if you listen to your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, they become a garland, they become pendants. Isn't it interesting? Garland and pendants, that's jewelry. That's, it's things to make us look attractive. And so what Solomon is saying is that the Father through wisdom makes us attractive. After all, He made us for His glory. And He gets us there through wisdom. God's wisdom is beautiful and impressive. I've been having an ongoing conversation with some of my seminary students about a theology of beauty. There's been a couple good books written about it. We don't necessarily think about the theology of beauty. Then I had the opportunity to go to the Louvre in Paris, France this summer when I visited my daughter. And it's incredible. These are the most beautiful paintings in the world. And we had a little bit of a discussion about what makes these more beautiful than others wasn't a super long discussion, but it was really centered around the Mona Lisa. What's the big deal around the Mona? Why is it in the room by itself? You know, with all this security. I mean, there's other paintings on the walls around the room, but it's in the middle by itself. Considered by many to be the most beautiful painting in the world. It's not merely that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. A theology of beauty would say God is what is the definition of beauty. God is most excellent. God is most beautiful. And so those things that correspond to the beauty of God are what we esteem beautiful. And history has proven that to be so. This garland, this pendants that he's talking about, what a picture of wisdom that it's almost like when you take wisdom upon yourself and you, you... you, you walk in wisdom, you become a more attractive person. I think it's why Paul in Romans 13 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses that language of clothing to put on. It's not merely to no longer be naked. It's putting on the, the proper clothing you then make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Why? Because you've put on the wisdom of Christ and you're walking in His way. And when you walk in His way and put Him on, there is no provision for the flesh, for foolishness, for sinful desire. But back to this invitation of folly, verses 
10 to 14, it's an enticement from ungodly companions. What do the wicked do in these verses? My son, if sinners entice you. See, the wicked makes sin attractive. The wicked makes sin enticing. They make it look like it's not ugly but beautiful. And yet it's not beautiful. In the short term, sure, sin brings pleasure. But in the long run, it brings shame and regret and death in this passage. Sin tries to succeed by ignoring reality. These evil companions say, hey, let's sit on the road and murder people and take their stuff. And we'll bury them and nobody will know. And we'll get rich. Well, we have enough uh, stories and poems and movies to tell us that that story never ends well. Here these wicked are promoting violence and have no regard for human life. Verse 19 expands it beyond violence to everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. What an interesting summary. The greed is for gain that is unjust. Quick, get rich quick schemes. Now we know in, in our culture, because of even if we're not Christians, even if we haven't been taught by the Bible, we know because of the laws that stealing is wrong, murder is wrong. There's punishments for it. But I think of uh, you know, the Wild West of uh, cryptocurrency, for example, uh, the last few years. There's been this, uh, you know, I've dabbled in it a little bit because I have a pastor friend who started a crypto company. And uh, I've kind of, now that I've dabbled in it a little bit, I've been paying attention. And you know what happens? It's the Wild West. And how many of these crypto CEOs are going to prison because they've been stealing money from people, lying about their product, unjust gain, greedy for it. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. And even with the new ways of getting unjust gain, it's not like it doesn't harm people. It does exactly what these verses are saying. It swallows the victims alive. That's what they want to be. They want to be like Sheol, like the pit. Whether it's bullies at school, the old story of ganging up on another kid, tormenting him or her to the point of despair. Often it doesn't happen physically anymore. It happens through online shaming. Computer hackers stealing people's identity and money. Wall Street insiders exploiting the system for their own selfish gain. Political good old boys neglecting their constituents and taking care of each other and passing criminal laws. Racists treating others as non-persons who don't count, who can be disposed of. Political candidates defrauding voters. Neighbors who need bad things to be true of someone else in order to justify themselves gossiping that person's reputation to death. A faction splitting a church. It's like gang initiation. Excitement first. Money and a community. That's what the gang is offering. That's the positives. They don't talk about the negatives. You're a criminal. And if you live by the sword, you die by the sword, according to Scripture. Now, wisdom here says, 
This is foolishness, my son. And think about the context. Solomon is the king. His son, the prince, is growing into a man. And he says to his son, you're going to be tempted in this way to defraud people. And think about as a prince, he wouldn't have any authority that would punish him. If he decided to become a highway robber, he's the prince. Who's going to punish him? He could become an evil dictator, a cruel taskmaster, and nobody would stop him because he's going to be the king. And who's going to stop the king? And so Solomon says, oh, this is a real temptation to you, my son, to become a tyrant when you're king. But the end is death. Don't follow that path. Now what's interesting about this Uh, these criminals, this gang, as it were, that offers this community. It's really counterfeit community because they lie in wait for their own blood. Verse 18, they set an ambush for their own lives. You probably know the famous short story that's uh, written about a group of thieves who stole a bag of money and they said they were going to split it three ways. And then pretty soon the greed of the thieves is too much and two of them kill the other one. And then there's two left who are going to split it 50-50. And then they kill each other and then no one's left to, to keep the money. And the short story is very famous and it's probably built right upon this same idea. They actually are setting an ambush for their own lives. Folly is ultimately self-destructive. That's what Solomon is saying. Verse 17, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. What a picture. The bird does not see any connection between the net and what's scattered on it. He just sees food that is free for the taking. And in the process, he's trapped and killed. In the same way, this gang of robbers cannot see the connection between their acts of robbery and the fate that entraps them. They're ambushing themselves. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But Solomon doesn't stop there. It's not just a warning. He positively gives an invitation to wisdom. Verse 20 is through the end of the chapter. The call of wisdom. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowledge lived out. It's one thing to know what's right and wrong, but you're wise when you actually live it out. I know lots of people who have lots of knowledge. I went to school with people. I got PhDs with people who had lots of knowledge. And sometimes people with lots of knowledge are the most foolish people in the world. They don't have any street smarts, right? That's what we call it, street smarts. Well, Ray Ortland in his commentary says, Wisdom is the skill, expertise, and competence that understands how life really works, how to achieve successful and even beautiful results. And of course, uh, we started in verse 8, but verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, a continual humble and faithful submission to the Lord that compels us to hate evil, turn away from it, to bring with it 
a reward better than any earthly treasures, which is a love for God, a knowledge of God, a long life, confidence, contentment, protection. And it's interesting in verses 20 and 21, when wisdom is crying aloud in the street, she's raising her voice in the market. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out, and at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Solomon's picturing uh, the royal city, as it were, and he's telling his son, as you go into the city gate and the market is there and the marketplace is loud. You ever been to a city market? Uh, you know, in the malls, all the, the, the stores have doors or they have enclosures and the noise is subdivided. But when you go into a market square that's just a big giant assortment, it's like the swap meet, right? It's like uh, going to the flea market and everybody's crying out, hey, come buy my stuff. Don't go over there. Come here. Don't go buy it over there. That table's got garbage. Come here. There's this raucous, loud noise and wisdom is speaking above the noise and not in the middle of the market, but at the entrance to the city gate in this picture. See, wisdom is demanding here wisdom is insistent here wisdom is speaking louder than the words of the marketplace she's not keeping her message secret she wants the widest possible hearing her voice is loud even shrill and piercing because of the urgency of her appeal the noise of this world tries to drown out the voice of wisdom and we have it in our pockets, our cell phones, the social media, the bombardment of information, crying out for our attention. And now we have short videos that just, we only have to watch little snippets for five or ten seconds, but we'll watch them for four hours. Just keep scrolling up and watching the short videos. Or It's amazing, isn't it, that the, the cry of our attention is for all of the world to just say, Come listen to me like a market square. Come buy what I'm selling. Come listen to what I have to offer. But wisdom is demanding and says, I'm speaking above all of that clamor and noise. And saying, if you want real life, if you want joy and contentment, you must listen to me. But wisdom is dangerous as well. I find it remarkable that what wisdom does as Solomon personifies Lady Wisdom here is she says, she rebukes those who are foolish. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? The word simple is those who are committed neither to good or evil, but not devoted to wisdom. So people who are believing that ignorance is bliss, vulnerable to seduction by Madam Folly, Lady Folly. Wisdom says, how long will you love being simple? Verse 22. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Scoffers, the free-thinking cynics who mock at God and sin and judgment, hardened against any reproof. Wisdom says, how long are you going to act that way? Fools, the one who rejects wisdom, so occupied with the things of the world that the things of God are of no concern. What is the cure? Wisdom says, if you turn at my reproof, verse 23, I will pour out my spirit. The only cure is to repent. 
to turn. That's why James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Much of my counseling when I meet to to talk to people, when I talk to them, they want wisdom. Nobody who meets with me who wants to counsel says, you know what, I really don't want any wisdom. I I just want you to approve what I'm doing. That's not usually what happens. But wisdom is demanding. Wisdom says you have to change what you're doing. You have to apply the knowledge you have. And stop pursuing the foolishness and turn and pursue the wise. And wisdom here has the last laugh. Isn't it incredible? Verses 26 to 28. Those who were mocking become the object of wisdom's mockery. Wisdom laughs when disaster strikes the fools. They turn away when the foolish call to her. And Verse 27 gives the assurance that disaster is going to come to the fool like a storm. Terror is going to come. Calamity like a whirlwind. Distress and anguish. Verses 31 and 32, they shall eat the fruit of their way. They will have the fill of their own devices. They reap what they sow. So what is wisdom like? Wisdom's like a fire. It can burn. But fire also purifies. Foolishness, on the other hand, is more dangerous because it's like a poison. There's no purifying. There's just an infecting and making worse. Wisdom, then, even though it's demanding and even though it's dangerous, it's our only safety. Verses 32 and 33. The simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now think again about the picture Solomon's telling his son, don't be simple-minded. Don't decide that ignorance is bliss and I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to study. I'm just going to go with the flow. You're going to turn away from wisdom and it's going to destroy you. And then he adds a new category, complacency of fools. The foolish who do despise wisdom, who then become complacent. And I think Solomon knew what he was talking about. He wrote another book called Ecclesiastes, where he tried everything under the sun to find happiness. Whether it was money, success, power, sex, drugs, all of it he tried. And he said it's all chasing the wind striving after the wind you ever try to catch the wind doesn't happen when you were a little kid and you tried to catch that leaf blown by the wind and it just eluded you just kept and you just kept chasing it the foolish attempt to catch the wind is is the picture and solomon is telling his son this not from someone who doesn't know But someone who's tried it all and knows from experience, it's a dead end. My son, don't pursue it. It's vanity of vanities. It's foolishness. And it is interesting to me here that Solomon, as the father of this young adult prince, what is he doing? He's pleading with him. He's pleading with him. 
This isn't a young child that he can spank and discipline and correct and have go the other way. This is a young son who's a prince who he's saying, I'm trying to give you wisdom and plead with you. Don't chase after what the world wants, what the world offers, what the world desires, because its end is destruction. That invitation is an invitation to the grave. Instead, listen to the invitation of wisdom. Though she's demanding, though she's dangerous, she is our only safety. She's actually what makes us beautiful and adorns us like a garland around the head or earrings on the ears. Pendants for the neck. She's our only safety. Now, the voice of wisdom, of course, is personified here as a woman. But we know because he says, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease. And throughout the book of Proverbs, that the voice of wisdom is really the voice of God. God's wisdom is personified as this wise woman for the prince to pursue. You could think of it this way. Young son who's a prince, you're going to marry somebody. Are you going to marry Lady Wisdom or Dame Folly? Who's going to be your princess? Who's going to be your queen? Who are you going to tie yourself to for the rest of life as you live and rule and reign over the kingdom as a king? You're going to be tied and married to wisdom or foolishness? What a picture. Because every young man I know, that's one of his consuming concerns is who is he going to marry? What kind of woman is he going to follow and chase after? Is that true, men? That's true. And so Solomon says to his son, this is the kind of woman you want. What a picture. In Isaiah, it's pictured a little bit differently. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What an invitation in Isaiah. Come, let us reason together. God says, come, let's talk it out. Let's have some reasonable dialogue about what will bring forgiveness and it begins in Isaiah chapter 1 and what is the solution to the sin problem of Israel in the book of Isaiah the servant who's going to come the Messiah who's going to make everything right reaches its high point in chapter 52 and 53 this servant's going to suffer be pierced for our transgressions going to be bruised for our iniquities the weight of the world is going to fall upon him Upon his shoulders, by his stripes were healed. And he shall see his offspring and be satisfied. What an incredible prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we just celebrated this Advent season, is the Word made flesh and the Father. You remember what he said twice? At the baptism of Jesus, he said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The God of all wisdom, 
who says, listen to me, come reason with me. Now at the incarnation of Jesus at his baptism, at the start of his public ministry says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Who are you going to listen to? Listen to him. Why? Because he's wisdom. And at the transfiguration, when Peter and James and John were on the mountain, and they saw the glory of Jesus and the Father speaks from heaven. And He says, this is My Son, My Chosen One. Listen to Him. What an incredible reality. We heard it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Greeks find Jesus and the cross to be a stumbling block. The Greeks think it to be foolishness. But to us who are being saved, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And His wisdom is greater than the wisdom of the world. There's an old hymn that says, Wealth and honor I disdain. Earthly comforts, Lord, are vain. These can never satisfy. Give me Christ or else I die. And that's the reality. That without Jesus, our life is vain. As much comfort as we find in this world, it never satisfies. Mental health problems, depression, anxiety, all of these are on the rise. It can be overwhelming reading the statistics. This young generation, Gen Z, that many of you in this room are in, you're faced with this reality and the world says, listen to me and I'll give you peace and joy and take your anxiety away and take your depression away and, and you just got to do this or that or the other thing and chase after this and it never satisfies. God says, come to Jesus. He's the wisdom of God and He's the power of God. You know what the Bible also says about Him in Isaiah? Usually it's quoted at Christmas time. I think we quoted it at least once. Isaiah 9, 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to focus on that first title. Wonderful Counselor. He is a wonder of a counselor. He gives wonderful advice. He gives the best advice. He gives advice that when you hear it, you marvel, you wonder, you go, why haven't I heard this before? This solves all my problems. What the world says is stupid. It's foolish. It's moronic. Those are the Greek words and the Hebrew words to speak about that kind of wisdom. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's a genius. He's a wonderful counselor for all times and all cultures. And He freely offers us His unique wisdom. Do you remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. You'll remember the illustration about everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. That's wisdom. Not just hearing them. That's knowledge, but doing them is wisdom. Will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know that picture. I mean, we teach it in a song in Sunday school. 
I'm not going to sing it for you now. My voice isn't that great. The wise man built his house upon a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the winds come, the storms of life, that house that's built on the sand, great will be its fall. But the house built upon the rock will stand firm. In fact, Jesus, it's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, when you read it, you see over and over these two ways to live, these two invitations throughout it. The wide road that leads to destruction, the narrow road that leads to life. These two ways to live. Jesus is echoing the same idea as Solomon. Why? Because he is the greater Solomon. He's the one who came and brought us not only the wisdom from God, but he is the wisdom of God. He brought us himself. He's not merely a messenger of wisdom. He is the all-wise God, the second person of the Trinity. In fact, he starts the Sermon on the Mount with blessed. Blessed. All of the, the, the Beatitudes, we call them. The word blessed, makarios in Greek, it means happy. So he starts his sermon with, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? And, and I know that theologically we want to distinguish between happiness and joy. I've heard this my whole life. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is even in the midst of sorrow. Well, in the Bible, happiness and joy are not that far separated. Makarios, blessed, happy. The, the life, things are the way they ought to be that gives you a sense of happiness is the idea behind it. Human flourishing, to put it another way. Do you want your life to flourish? Jesus says, follow me. Listen to me. Do what I command. And what is the wisdom of God rooted in? It, I mean, what is, what is the command to do? Well, the command is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul will turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in closing. He says... Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He goes down into verse 30. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, but not only wisdom, also righteousness. We have a right standing before God. We're able to stand in the presence of a holy God. Sanctification. We're being made holy, set apart to God, becoming like God. And redemption. We've been purchased out of the domain of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And then he goes into chapter 2 and says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, 
but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, there's these two invitations. Do you want to listen to the wisdom of men? Or do you want to listen to the power of God, which is the message of Christ? The cross. Jesus died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. He was raised for our justification. That when we believe upon Him, we are saved and delivered and brought into a new kingdom. And we have a new Father in heaven. And He's the one in James who gives generously to anybody who lacks wisdom. Jesus is our priest and our prophet. We talk about it all the time. But in the book of Proverbs, we encounter Jesus as our mentor, as our counselor, as the wise Savior who gives us the best advice. You want to get good advice? Listen to Jesus this year. Listen to Him. And there's no other way to listen to Him than to be in His Word. Because in His Word is where He speaks. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for our Savior who is wisdom. I think about my own life and the friends I had growing up. And I look at where their lives turned out. Many of them made a wreck of their lives because they listened to the wisdom of the world. And by Your grace, You saved me. You opened my eyes to see Jesus for who He really is, that He's Your wisdom. He's Your power. And I've been following Him for 40 years. And I echo the words of Paul, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord Jesus. Because it's not me, it's Him. I pray for our church. Pray for these men and women, these young men and women especially. I think of the new parents and the parents-to-be. I think of the, the college age, the, the, those in their 20s who are being bombarded by the marketplace of the world's call to them to say, follow me and I'll make you rich and I'll make you happy and it's all an empty pipe dream. Father, would you give them a hunger for your word and for you that would grant them wisdom in Jesus. Not just knowledge about him, but a life lived out in obedience to him. That's our great commission to Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that the Lord Jesus commanded. Father, would you give us wisdom in this year? Wisdom for tomorrow. Wisdom for today. Wisdom in our relationships with our friends, with our mates, with with our children with those in our community, give us a timely word spoken. May we not only have wisdom, may we impart wisdom to others, your wisdom. And as we do so to one another, may we be a group of counselors that encourage one another, that stir one another up to love and good deeds. 
May you fill the rest of our service with your spirit. May Christ be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.